Welcome everybody to um, our live edition of I Spit on Your Grades. Um, I hope that's what everyone is here for. You've not like sat on the remote. You're not here for some educational content or something of worth because that's not happening tonight. Um, let me introduce our guests, the hosts of the inimitable and wonderful weekly tonic of terror that is I Spit on Your Grades. He's confounded medical professionals for years. Now let him confound you with his choices. It's Mercer. Yay! Did you just silent applause yourself? That was impressive. I, I did silent applause myself, but I did verbally, like out loud, cheer for me. So like, it worked. Putting the fun in fungal foot infection. It's Chris Ellis. Hello, everybody. How are we? We're quite well, thank you. And get ready for her to tell you that she'd vote for Obama a third time if she could. It's Faye! Best president of my lifetime. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining um, us again. Um, and thank you, I guess, for having me. This is so reciprocal, these thanks. Thanks all round. Um, maybe you can tell our audience if we've got any noobs in the house. Uh, what is I Spit on Your Grades and why should people like and subscribe? Okay, I'll, I'll take this one because I've not spoken enough yet. <clears throat> so, I Spit on Your Graves is Grades is a podcast where we pick different, our favourite horrors from the different horror subgenre, genres against each other. You know, we'll, we pick our favourite, we talk about it, we give it all love, we all love each other's films. It's all praise, praise, praise until Faye starts talking about my films and then it becomes an attack. Mercy, um, you're the one who's watching the astronaut's wife, all right? We'll keep going back to it. If you're going to pick these films, we're going to mock you. Anyway, so yeah, um, and then we yeah we just challenge each other's film taste basically um, to see who's got the best taste in the horror genre as a whole. Um, we'll put out votes on the films that we picked and get your input off the back of them. And normally, the fourth film when we haven't got um, a guest on will be um, one that's been recommended by the listeners. And yeah, that's that's what we do, and we do it adequately, and, and we're proud of that. <laughs> do you know off the top of your head who is winning at this stage? Yes, yes, we do. And who is, 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 it, is, is it? You, Mercer? Oh no! <laughs> I know who's had the lowest score in films throughout the entire competition. This guy, um, which is quite a shock because my films are always excellent choices, as you will see. From tonight's choice. That's a Frank and Hooker t-shirt, everyone, if you can't see. Great for the audio medium as well. Can't wait to keep <laughs> listening to this one from home. Um, yeah. Mercer so just rested his left breast on the webcam there. So. What, what we'll do, anyone, anyone listening to the episode, DM Mercer, he will send you a photo of his left tit so you can have an audio feature while we're doing this. Or maybe we could, um, additionally to this, we could record like a, an audio caption description, you know, like G uh, Puss in Boots, a Ginger Tomcat, that one. But... Okay. Possibly. Maybe. Yeah. I realise how many times we've promised pictures of different parts of my body, um, and I never deliver. So just don't get your hopes up, people. I never deliver. So, oh well. <laughs> and speaking of never delivering, um, who's going first for the films tonight, then? Um... <laughs> I feel like that was an attack, Mitch. That was just a, a massive verbal attack. A massive attack. 
Yes. I love that. So, as you'll all be aware, we're doing medical horror. Um, so you're probably expecting different to what you're going to get, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we've quite left field again, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> We we kind of just use these subgenres as as a, a very loose guide, if I'm being honest. So, but yeah, so I'm going first. I'm going with uh, the excellent Frank Hinolata, 1990 Frankenhooker, which I know we've all seen and we all love. But if we haven't seen Frankenhooker, just a brief synopsis. It's just the story of a medical school dropout and um, inventor of stuff who um, inadvertently, accidentally gets his girlfriend or fiance killed um, in a terrible, terrible lawnmower accident, which, you know, it happens. Um, this lawnmower literally mince meets this girl up. She is in pieces and Jeremy, the, the Jeffrey, sorry, the doctor slash inventor is, in, is also in pieces. And his plan is to bring his girlfriend back, a la Frankenstein style, um, with the pieces of body which he's managed to secretly capture um, or steal on the day. Um, so he's got a head, a foot, and a hand. And that's all you need, really, to bring her back. And then we just follow Jerry, Jeffrey. I keep calling him Jeremy. And the reason is because someone mentions Jeffrey Dahmer somewhere, and he's in my head. Um, not in this film, but just in general. Um, that's a bit weird. Um, Je- <laughs> Jeffrey is um, he's definitely um, a bit crazy himself, and he goes out and he makes um, a drug, and he finds a beautiful, beautiful set of body parts to create what he believes is the perfect woman and the perfect reincarnation of his fiance Elizabeth. Uh, this film is Taka. Uh, we all know it's Taka, but it is fantastic. It's funny and it doesn't really give a shit, to be honest. It just does what it wants to do and it doesn't care who it's offending. And I enjoy that because I like to be challenged and I like to be pushed. Um, and I like, I just like cheese sometimes. So, um, as far as like medical horrors go, I think this is probably the easiest and uh, to to watch where you don't actually have to think about anything because it's not based on actual medical fact at all. Um, we're basing it on Frankenstein creating his monster, so you know it's quite an easy watch. You don't have to think about anything. Um, but what you do get to see is Patty do do. Uh, Pine Mullen, sorry, do an amazing, amazing Frankenhooker. That's my Frankenhooker face. Um, again, I will post a picture of that. No, I won't. I will. But I'll say I will. I think we're just lucky no one phone 999 there, Mercer, before you're having a stroke. <laughs> so, yeah, so I love it. And I want to hear why you love it as well. This, um, uh, just to say, there is a lot of love in the chat for it. Like, everyone is going mental for it. So this might be uh, a mercy win, maybe, already. You're right, it's cheese. It's proper cheese, but it's hilarious. And until we rewatched it, I forgot just how hilarious it was. I know she does a great job 
as Frankenhooker. She really does. But uh, if you look on IMDb, she's only been in two things. And from the opening scene, you can see why. <laughs> Throwing shade. Oh, well, away. I think it's true, isn't it? I mean, when she's actually Frankenhooker, she's amazing. But that initial scene is a... Uh, it's not the best. I'm not happy. No, it was a mic drop. That was why she was only in this and a few others. Because she was like, I've done it now. I've done it. It's fine. I have, I have, I have completed acting. Now I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you there, Mitch. It was definitely like, uh, oh, I've done the best now. So let's not ruin my career by doing some shit after this classic masterpiece. Um, it's like a period piece for the 90s, if we're being honest. Um, the but also, 90s. I thought it were 80s. I, I mean, it's oh, yeah. 90s, but you know. I like the fact that we start off in, let's face it, the world's a fairly ordinary world. There's still, there's families, there's jobs, there's hookers. This guy has a brain floating around in a jar with an eyeball attached to it. No police anywhere. No government intervention for this walking red flag. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And everyone just accepts it, which I think is a really lovely testament to like that startup and that the way that family are just so built together and integrated and loving. And, you know, and that's why it's so tragic when we see poor um, Elizabeth um, shredded, which we don't see. In fact, one thing we don't see a lot of in this film is blood. It's quite a bloodless movie. Um, but we do get to see some of probably the world's best special effects. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, I, I love it. It's just fireworks up a mannequin. It's the best. <laughs> they're, they're literally in position as they're exploding. It's so funny. I love My it. My favourite thing is where they've obviously built these mannequins with positions in mind, showed it to the actress and then said, right, so you're going to do your scene, but you must end up in this position. And it's the ways that the actresses will find an excuse to get into that specific position. And then it's been edited, it's been, uh, bless them, it's edited to the best of their ability, but it holds a little bit too long on some of their shots. And you go, why? You mean, like, you mean like going, hey, I really like this cry. Boom! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's so much fun. For a film all about exploding sex workers, there's like no blood and guts at all. No, um, but there are some very, uh, four body parts have exploded. They've all got some very nice, clean edges, um, which we can wipe blue on. <laughs> I love the way that that's how he's sticking his body together. Just some, like, about gorilla glue. Yeah. <laughs> um, special effects that rival Jurassic Park. Couldn't get through one episode without mentioning Jurassic Park. We, we, we can't get into a Jurassic Park discussion this early, no. lads. It's, it's too early. Well, you'll soon find out why we won't be discussing Jurassic Park with the next film choice, but hopefully that will become clear. Um, yeah. I, I, um, do you think that this film is feministically inclined? Because a lot of people say it's quite, you know, of its time. But I think it is. I think she's an absolute icon. Who'd think that? I mean, she gets she gets the last laugh. Yeah, she does. So we, we we did actually say at one point, like not to bring it too deep a discussion, but me and Mitch were discussing it and saying, is should we be worried about watching this kind of film now as it was done in the nineties, given you know the parts of misogyny in it, and you know, 
And the thing we said was with the whole film, it's not just taking the piss out of one specific person, it's taking the piss out of everybody that's in the film. So it's not, it, it, it doesn't make it bad in that sense. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because no, 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 but nobody is a target. Everybody, everybody is. It's got the South Everyone's Park, the South Park yeah. effect. Yeah. It's mm. the same as all of those I mean, like, 42nd Street films, though, that Penn and Lotter makes, isn't it? Everything is as sleazy as can possibly be. For the best part. Yeah. Majestic Gazelle Henny Lotter. I did have some concerns um, when I was watching it. I was a bit like, oh, God, yeah, this is a bit misogynistic and quite exploitative um but then i was like like chris said i was like oh but then at the end like it is like a flip round and she's all like you know you did this to me and i've just done the exact same to you um so there's, there's a, almost like a sense of equality there between like the leads as in uh, i'm just as capable of doing like the same things to you without your permission Mm. Um, so that kind of made me feel a little better about it um, and like you say like nobody's off limits and again that's one of the reasons why I love the film it's just you know it is what it is it don't pretend to be anything else and it doesn't like like I said it doesn't care if it's offending somebody because it offends or aims to offend everybody so that's fine by me yeah. now you know that might make me a bad person <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it's the way it is and like you said though it is i do think it is a product of its time and i do think you know there are things in there that we probably in a modern world wouldn't put in a film or would maybe tone down a little um but you know it's the 90s and that's when i saw it i saw it as a kid i saw i've got that nostalgic feel towards it as a film and, you know, I don't think we should change that. Of course, if it was completely misogynistic, then I'd have a different point of view. You know, if, if I couldn't find a redeeming feature, then I would I would probably question. I'd probably watch it in secret, um, <laughs> but I'm not going to lie to you. But, um, secret misogynist. <laughs> yeah, that's what I am. Yes, defend the 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 man. Um, because, you know, men are only good for one thing. We all know that, so I'm not going to. You're digging deeper here. I've seen you. I've seen you putting shelves up, Mercy. You're no good at that. I am not good at putting shelves up, but I did build all my bookshelves from IKEA following instructions, and that takes a fucking genius. I we I also love um, them creatures that come out yeah. of the If you've not seen oh, it, you need to watch it. It has got some of the cutest um, misformed. Everyone's seen Society, right? I assume everyone's seen Society. Yes. Um, you know, like when like the math world you wear, all the body parts kind of like merge and join everyone. I'm hoping everyone's seen Society. Yes. Um, A bit late now, if they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> If you want, then I've ruined that for you as well. Um, but there's like these, like all the body parts merge, and it's quite that's quite disgusting. But these are like little cute little like gremliny, crittery type of um, giant body parts. They, like, are, they are not Mercer. They are fucking nightmare fuel. <laughs> Thank you. Did anyone watch Trapdoor in the nineties? Yes. Like little creatures. Yeah. <laughs> 
What version of Trapdoor are you watching? I've watched Trapdoor and there's no upside down vagina mouth in Trapdoor. It's cute plasticine and that's it. I can see where you're coming from. There's another man's vagina, it's fine. One thing I was going to say, like, it's easy to, like, overlook kind of the craziness when you've got like sex worker Catherine wheels and these like body part creatures coming out of the woodwork it's easy to forget like kind of the more subtle craziness but the fact that like jeffrey uses a power drill to trepan his own brain in order to yeah. get the idea or just calm down he like he gets a black and decker and drills it into the back of his head and he's like, is... oh that's better no no blood at all or fluid it's like mate just take a ibuprofen yeah. You're going to be fine. You don't need to drill a hole in your head. And also the fact that a vagina is supercharged. Like, I don't know why the charge comes from there. Like, of all the places you're going to put a power source, why put it in a vagina? Once again, I say feminist masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that does bug me about the film, actually, not um, is at the beginning when he's drawing her, he puts an on-off switch. And that's the, that's, the, that's, that's the part where I go, mm, come on, this is supposed to be the woman that you love. Like, you know, why why are we having a switch to turn her off? I mean, if it were Faye, yeah, I could get it, but I'm joking. I'm joking. I would never turn Chris, Faye off. Chris, can you, can you defend my honour as my husband, please? No, no, I cannot. Well, <laughs> no, but that, that was the one thing where I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a bit like, this guy is a bit of a douche, actually. I was going to say, I like the fact that he's this genius mind who's done all the plans in great depth but the head scale is completely off. So she's got a huge ginormous or tiny head on an absolutely enormous body. This eight foot hawking tall woman from his scale. And the fact he's sitting there doodling, it's like, little uh, science, more doodling, science doodling, science, science. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and his mum's amazing. Like, she just really doesn't like, you know, there's a floating brain with an eyeball in, there's a picture of a naked, like woman that he's created and she's just like oh yeah whatever um and when he pulls his heart out to her and he's talking about we don't know whether like like he doesn't know right from wrong anymore and he doesn't know what he's doing and life's terrible and her first response is i'm a sandwich i'm just like that is genius i want people to say to me i was gonna say time that is that is every kind of reaction you want in that circumstance Somebody said in the chat that uh, I think it was Lewis saying that he always wanted to see Frankenhooker as a musical. Now, how much fun would that be? I would live for Frankenhooker as a musical. I think that would be. Oh, why has nobody done that plan? Stealing it, stealing it, and sending <laughs> it. Off. It's mine. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. Can you imagine it? Oh man, oh I want that so much. Like you Bane's, in, Bane's in here, get Bane to write it. Go on, you can do Bane. Bane. We've, we, it's new project. I'll just sit back and let you do it, but then I'll take the credit with you because that's <laughs> how life works, to be fair. That's but, the life as a producer, Mercer, ain't it? That's you, that's you, Sina. You do all the work and I'll rock with the Oscars and take the prize. But do you know what you've just done in that, in that one sentence, that one line, Lewis, is you've actually just created even more of a passion inside me for the film in general because now like when i like i watch it again and i love these visions of this musical numbers like oh my god the exploding hookers in in the hotel room as a musical number would be 
Oh my! I'm, You'd I'm so flash them, wouldn't you? I'm so excited. And <laughs> over something that's not getting made. I'm so excited. <laughs> doesn't exist, and I am yes. This is it. This is what I want, and that's all that matters. If you want it enough, somebody will do it for you, Mitch Ben. Um, <laughs> just the, the necessary pressure out there. Um, but, so, are we going to have an actual musical number? Maybe you've got a week to write it, Marcia. We've got a week. I've got a week to write a musical number for Franklin Hooker. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. gonna try. Yeah. I am gonna try. Um, what I also think, though, is that's the. That's another reason now, now that's another reason why I love the film so much is that you, the promise that it's got. Um, so from a 90s film to a 2022, I'll give you some time, Mitch, 2022 <laughs> musical. Generous of you. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I think that's such a good idea. Thanks for that. And for the excitement you've just given me. And that's... I think that's a perfect way to kind of like just end the fact that Franklin Hooker is fucking fantastic. Okay. It's got some absolutely crazy performances in there. It's funny. It's offensive. It's, it's, it's good for the whole family. If you cover the kids eyes at the hooker scenes, um, so that they're not seeing the dirty bits. The there's, a lot of, there's a lot of boob in it in there. There's a lot of nudity. Fine. It's fine. But you know, it's, it's a bloodless event and that's what, families are afraid of when they're presenting the children things they, they're just, afraid of blood just before you wrap up can i just say that one of the points i took away from it and crystal agree you don't often see in a film a close-up of a nipple being pushed for comedic purposes <laughs> it, it was weird it was weird to watch i'm like i'm actually just watching someone's nipple getting poked here it was odd attention to scientific detail which is missing from many of the films. Jurassic Park, they don't go there tweaking terror, whatever, triceratops nipples, just to make sure they work. No, and it's a key factor. The one thing that does get me, just before I do wrap up, one thing that does confuse me about this film is um, why she takes on the personality of the dead prostitute. Because she's got her own head and her own brain. So science. just as, as something to think about with science, thank you, you've explained it all. Science does it. That's explained it. Thank you, Fair. No but problem. I, think, <laughs> I do think it's a fun film, and I think it it fits in with my choice of movies overall. Um, but this time it like does deserve to win. I know I say it every time, but this time it really does deserve to win because it's it's just fun. And these other, I'm going to be honest with you now, guys. These other three are fucking serious films. Do you know what I mean? These are hardcore films that are coming up. Um, and, you know, I brought the joy this week. I did the Chris. I brought the joy. I brought the fun. Watch the film. Enjoy it. Vote for it when it goes live. And um, thank me in tweets. <laughs> that was beautiful. What a finish. Ew! Um, well, yeah. I mean, Mercer did say it right. If if you were coming here for like a fun, jovial, comedic Saturday evening, kind of just stop at the buck now, really. So. <laughs> Don't expect that worse. Don't expect fun when you come and listen to us. <laughs> Strapping people, here we go. Um, it's it's my turn next, I guess. If we're going chronologically, um, 
And yeah, so my pick for the best medical horror is 2012's enigmatic and beautiful psychosexual masterpiece from Pedro Almodovar, the world's most fucked up Nivea commercial, The Skin I Live In. Pause for fucking applause. Um, for the film, not for that <laughs> pun. Um, no, I, I guess I have, we should say spoiler warnings like at the foot of the podcast, like for those of you that doesn't listen to this, but like I think especially prescient for this film because uh, it kind of is predicated on quite a massive revelation that happens at some point during it. So kind of heads up if you haven't seen this film before um, and don't want to have it spoiled for you, maybe skip ahead at some point because um, I think it's kind of impossible to talk about the film without mentioning it. Um, and I guess also throwing out a little content warning, because inevitably this film will bring up some discussions over gender dysmorphia or trans misogyny and sexual assault as well. So, like, heads up on those ones. Uh, like I said, we're going Bingo. Fun. <laughs> Saturday night, guys. Um, so, yeah, um, before we kind of get into the, like, description of the film, because I don't even know if I can do it justice to synopsize this, um, I just want to talk about how stunning this film is. Like on an aesthetic level, on a performance level, on an existential level. It's like equally high camp and coldly clinically distant, like a European take on Cronenberg in the way that it really digs into body horror and dysmorphia and just being completely at odds with the skin you live in. Um, it's just this startlingly wild study of obsession and possession and revenge and the complexities of being. Um, and it's also fucked up. Um, and it features a man in a tiger spandex onesie um, <laughs> on top of everything else. Um, so I guess for people that haven't seen this film, I'm going to try and sum it up in like an as succinct way as possible without completely butchering the nuances of it. Um, so The Skin I Live In, like I said, directed by Pedro Almodovar, like absolute Spanish visionary um, who's mostly associated with joy and fun um, and now isn't, uh, it directs this film who's uh, about, uh, in honour, about this kind of like genius surgeon or um, crazy scientist, one of the two, um, who in honour of his late wife, who was brutally scarred um, in like a flaming car accident, um, that eventually kind of led towards her suicide. Um, this, this doctor, Dr. Robert Ledgard, is trying to synthesize the perfect skin uh, which can withstand burns and bug bites and cuts and any other kind of damage. Um, and Robert, alongside his housekeeper, uh, Marilla, have incarcerated in his big palatial uh, Spanish villa come operating theatre, a young woman... A young woman. What was that, sorry? It was you echoing. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they you put, You're putting reverb on your own synopsis now, mate. Add gravitas to it, yeah. Um, yeah, so they've incarcerated this young woman called Vera, um, who is Robert's patient slash prisoner. Um, however, when Marilla's son, the aforementioned tiger spandex codpiece person, um, vilely enters the house and assaults Vera, a kind of Stockholm Syndrome questionable charade begins for Vera to plan their escape. Uh, which is kind of the most of the movie, save for the massive bit that happens in the middle, which I guess final, final spoiler warning and content warning as well. We learn that through fragments of a flashback uh, that Vera isn't all that they appear, 
theory is actually the experiment and systematic result of Robert's fury and grief of losing his daughter as well, who took her own life following um, or, or possibly following a sexual assault from a young man called Vincent. Uh, because Vera is or was, depending on your, your take on it, um, Vincent after six years of enforced gender reassignment surgery as exhaustive as hormone replacement, skin transplants and a full vaginoplasty. Um, so Robert has effectively resurrected his lost loved ones, um, you could say, by medically altering the alleged and presumed perpetrator <laughs> of the loss of them both. <laughs> Sometimes I've, I've just read Chris's comment. I'm sorry, <laughs> carry on. Sorry, I'm just going to read it really quickly. It says, Second hour of skin I live in, maybe first hour somehow runs for about eight days, which is about as long as this synopsis is running on for <laughs> as well. Um, so yeah, what happens kind of following that is just this labyrinthine and subtle exploration of the obsessive power of creation and the interplay between gender and sex of dysmorphia and the ramifications of sexual assault and kind of the internalized hate. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think it's an absolute um, challenging, ambiguous masterpiece uh, that I love and I can't wait to hear everyone else love it as well. Don't don't say challenging because it's just fuel to the fire for Chris. I can see him getting giddy at I, wanting I, to comment. I was, I, was, I was just gonna say I I enjoyed the film. I think the first hour, as I say, is far too slow. I think the second hour is great and shoots by in an absolute instant. I don't think you need the sheer scale of the build in the first hour. No, too vague, wrong. I think the first hour is <laughs> a wonderful, slow burn, kind of insidious view inside. <laughs> what I said before, it's this kind of reverse semi-Stockholm syndrome. And it, it, especially, I don't know if this is yours first watch of it, um, but there's a yeah. lot of stuff that happens within the first eight days, as you say, um, that it is kind of alluding to what you later find out as the reveal. Um, and that kind of power interplay between the um, prisoner and the prison guards or the doctor and the patient, however you want to see it, the kind of the, ref the reflexivity of their roles is so like interestingly portrayed in that one. Um, no, it's not exploding sex workers, Chris. Sorry. It's <laughs> an actual piece of artwork. God. The, th the thing is with the Skin Eleven, it chooses to reveal its cards quite early on, I feel, for a film. Like halfway through is not really something that you'd normally get. It'd be safe to end as a reveal. But I think I, I like that it's revealed in the middle because then you get the backstory of what it is. And, oh, it, I, I don't think that kid deserved to be there myself. No, I absolutely don't. I, I don't think he raped her. From his, from his point of view, because we, we only have his point of view from the dream sequence, I don't believe he did. I think he freaked out and uh, tried to silence her for fear of what it might look like should somebody stumble across them. But when she said no, he, he stopped. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole miscommunication is obviously what led to, like, she, she were hyped up on pills. She'd been in a facility before. They said we released her too soon. So she's not in her right mind. And I just found it really unfair on him, her, 
Vincent Vera mm -hmm. that he was put in that position because I don't believe he should have been. Yeah, he did. He did. He, he did some things wrong. Don't get. Don't, I don't know why you're laughing. This. <laughs> but, <I'm> not... <laughs> but 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 in it. But you know, he could have done. He could have. He could have made the situation better. He could have stayed. He could have explained himself. Mm -hmm. But I do think it was a from from what we see from his point of view in his recollection, it does appear to be a misunderstanding. Totally, yeah. he, he didn't take her top off. He didn't take her shoes off. Mm -hmm. But when you get there, you know what it looks like. So, but the film is all about misunderstanding and understanding, yeah. and it never it never says that Vincent is the outright villain. I mean, like you say, the whole start of the film is setting up Vincent slash Vera as the protagonist, and you can argue. I guess, uh, kind of at the credit roll, who is the protagonist, who is the antagonist, is there such a thing? Um, and it's that that kind of role reversal that is constantly occurring throughout the whole film. I mean, you, you could argue that there are really no sympathetic live characters in no. the film. It saves Not the even the mother, like the, no. the mother is one of the worst. And I did start to think, um, you know, he's quite cold and calculating. And I thought, well, that's maybe the fact he's a doctor and he's looking at these things in a logical mm. manner. But it's absolutely not. She's just the same. She had a child. Again, spoilers. Sorry, everyone. But she had a child she didn't want. So that was it. She, it was gone. Forgotten about. And even to the point where Tiger Man, we'll call him, I think it's Zeka or Zenka. We'll just call him Tiger King. Tiger King. It makes Tiger the film more fun. It makes it way more fun. <laughs> So when he when he's in the room with Tiger King and she's watching the monitor and she says shoot him and shoot her, she's just so cold about it and that's clearly well, she's, rubbed off on him. She's quite happy to watch Tiger King assault Vera. Let's face it. Yeah, she's not a nice person. No. It's not like she could do much though. She was gagged and uh, yeah, no, but she said she didn't have to sit there and watch it though, do you? <laughs> I think if anyone placed that situation, you probably wouldn't go oh. I can't do much else. I'll just settle down and enjoy this. No. But to be fair, your eyes. To be fair, the the um, the mother who I do that in quotes because I don't think she ever actually reveals to Robert that she is his mother. No. Was raised by the family, but her her big sole intention is to protect him, um, and that might not come across very well in the way that she treats Vera and even the way she treats her other son. But uh, her big issue is to make sure that Robert is okay and he's not damaging himself um, even more um, on a mental kind of level than, than he has been done. Because he's been through a lot, obviously. He's lost his wife, he's lost his daughter um, to suicide, both of them as well. That's that's That takes a strain on people. And what he's done is not normal behavior um and the fact that he recreates vera as a replica of his wife mm -hmm. um you know it's it's disturbing so as a mother i think she's you know i think she's doing her job quite well as to <laughs> <laughs> i think super nanny would disagree <laughs> <laughs> That's I think the sequel I want to see. Forget the uh, forget the musical version of Frankenhooker. I want to see like the Nanny McPhee sequel to um, The Skin I Live In. <laughs> as far as characters go, her intentions are a lot different than like the other characters' intentions. Her her is her intention is not revenge; it is love. Mm -hmm. um, and even though that might result in her wanting to murder 
or see somebody die, it's for the benefit of a son rather than just out of cruelness. I mean, and also remember, at some point he must have explained to her who Vera is. We don't see that in the film, but it becomes evident that Vera's a captor. She's not just... So at the start, he says it's a patient who's healing. Obviously, six years later, you can't use that same old lie, can you? Be fair, fair, I think... I think because she's got that loyalty to the family and as she says when she's back in the uniform, he's like, you don't need to wear that. But she's like, no, I want to. She's so happy to be back part of that bizarrely absolutely dysfunctional family that she's happy to just turn a blind eye. She doesn't care why this person is being captive. She's just happy to be back with Robert. You want to talk about people turning a blind eye? Um, Chris commented while we were watching it the fact that he's just got friends that will rock up at three o'clock in the morning. You go, hey, turn that into a vagina for me, please. Yeah. Hey, no come problem. To, hey, can you come to my secret basement operating theatre? <laughs> he's got some good friends. Some people want a doner kebab when they're drunk. Some people I'm say, okay, just stop this. Stop I can't get anyone. I can't get anyone to go to the shop for me. Let alone come down. They're obviously getting paid quite a substantial amount to perform illegal um, gender reassignment surgery. Um, yeah, I he, 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 does, he does come back and question it years later, though, and goes, that was that boy, weren't it? It's like, mate, you've got your money now. You can't be asking these questions. It's done. What are you going to do now? <laughs> yeah. Jackie just said <laughs> we missed the cutscene where the guy's laying there in bed one night and just suddenly wakes up and sits up and like, hang on a second. <laughs> like like South Park. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> a lot of South Park quoting tonight, my apologies. <laughs> but for like for a film that is about enforced gender reassignment, it's not gratuitous, is it? In a specific way, I think. No, no. Frankenhooker, it is quite a bloodless film. Um, but I guess some people could question whether it is a horror film, and I think it is. I, I think the, a horror film in how shocking it is. But the I think the entire way it's, it's tasteful. The entire way through, it's beautifully filmed. Mm-hmm. It looks gorgeous, like you say. It's so aesthetically pleasing. Um, but yeah, no, no gratuity to it at all even even, even the scenes with blood it's not it's not over the top is it it's not there for shock value it's there to show this to make it look more simply make it look more realistic as they go through these bits and pieces it's like the section where they're on about how they need to expand the rhinoplasty and when he brings them in that's not that's not done in bad taste or grotesquely when he comes and says you need to use this size and then this size and then this size. Mm-hmm. It's simply, I've no idea of the process. I've no idea if that, how these things are done. Mm-hmm. But it's set there just in a way to so show, yeah, this is how this process would work. And it's just cold and it's clean and it's clinical. It's very clinical, in, yeah. Yeah. And as I say, it's not there for shock value. It's just there to go, right, we've done this. This is what this person is going to have to go through to make sure they essentially don't kill over and uh, get infected or whatever else may happen after this surgery. And it might be humiliating to the Vera slash Vincenzo, or Vincente, sorry. Uh, Vincente. Mm-hmm. But I'd say that if you want to survive, that's what he needs to do. I mean, let's face And he does, because it's a slow burn revenge film, ultimately. Yeah. It is, yeah. 
I just want to maybe tackle one more thing as well um, at, at risk of tackling it. Um, and also obviously predicating it by saying I can't speak of trans experience I'm a cis man but um when I was because I think I don't know if you all do this but when you kind of whittle down the films and pick your film um I always do have a little nudge because I, I hadn't actually seen this film in a couple of years um so before re-watching it I was like well let's have a little look through the reviews um just let's read the room a little bit a lot has changed since 2012 um and it's got a tremendous amount of hate uh, leveled against it this film um, okay. a lot of people that think it is specifically transphobic because it shows a transgender experience um, at, in a strictly negative light um, even though it, it is enforced as we've said um, um, yeah I was going to say it's forced it's not optional it's... no but there's a lot of questions certainly within the last kind of year I've seen in reviews that certainly say it's specifically showing um a, a, the, the transgender experience as being something that is inherently negative and horrible and I kind of want to flip that over because I think it's it's it, uh, like I said at behest of me attempting to broach this but um it's kind of more of talking about gender expression and portraying that um kind of frustration and uncontrollability um, of feeling trapped and of an individual that's kind of pre-transitioning and being unable to express their chosen and true gender. Um, so in that way, Vera is almost like a muse or a vessel, not muse, not so, ugh, no, Vera is like a vessel for those individuals that aren't able to transition or to show their true identity. Um, and in the end, Vera's escape to freedom, if you wish to call it that, is in her playing the part of the gender expectation for those around her. So in this case, her creator, uh, so she has, she acquiesces and pretends to be Vera and sidles up next to um, Antonio Banderas, uh, just in the same way that uh, trans or gender questioning individuals in difficult family settings have to kind of hide their true gender expression for fear of ostracization. Um, so it's not pretty or necessarily unproblematic, um, but I think it's kind of a frighteningly real portrayal of um, mm. of transgenderism in some in certain cases uh, but once again it's not my argument to fight for but I do think the film certainly holds its weight against scrutiny um I'm, I'm not sure I'd have all to add to that to be honest like I say because I I can't personally say whether it is or not if it if it is it, and it's viewed in that way shit sorry um yeah obviously that's terrible yeah, I think it's, yeah, and it'd be interesting to hear if anybody in the chat maybe did feel that the film was somewhat problematic. Mm. Um, I'm just going to jump to the chat. So Caitlin's asked um, whether we give openly queer creators mm. like Almodovar uh, more of a benefit of the doubt when tackling this material than somebody else. Now, I, I'm sure we've all watched a lot of Almodovar films, um, and he does work a lot with, or a lot of his films do have stories of transgender women or transitioning um and it's something that he does do a lot and I do think he works closely with that community I don't think he's um I don't think he takes on I mean I might be wrong but from my own little knowledge I don't think he takes on this challenge without actually getting involved as people and I think he's well he's one of the, he works with trans actors the thing the thing is as well though I think you know, that that's all well and good I just think generally as as a general thing 
the world changes and it, it might have, you know, it's, it's changed from 2012. So you, you put in all these steps to be positive and, you know, accepting and stuff like that, but there's going to be things that happen along the way and it can still be that even though he is using trans people in his films and such, it might not be the same case now. I can't, I can't really articulate what I'm trying to say, which, <laughs> do you know I, what I mean? If you're saying along the lines of what I was going to step in with was saying, it depends on if he's speaking for people or with people. And kind of like what John was saying is a Moldavar has always kind of aligned himself with the trans community. There's always been trans representation within a lot of his films, um, usually in a really, really positive and ebullient way, way before that was ever kind of the zeitgeist or de rigueur within films. Um, so I do think he is certainly an ally within that community. Um, and as long as he never says that he's speaking for them as a cis man, then, then, then yeah, there is some some benefit of the doubt but I mean I don't think that you can ever say oh because because he is a gay cis man that he's um kind of uh inculpable of scrutiny against misogyny or kind of or transphobia as well and I think too often that it's alluded to oh well that that man can't be misogynistic because he's gay so I mean yes and no Caitlin <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, it's, it's, Caitlin's just come back with us in the chat. Uh, one experience or even a community experience doesn't represent the whole community, but I guess some kind of visibility earns them an element of feeling like any offence taken is inadvertent rather than intentionally harmful. Eloquently oh, put. Beautiful. Thanks for being smart, because uh, <laughs> me and Faye are just like, um, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I don't know what I want to say sometimes. Yeah. It just doesn't come out. It's, it's been a long, just, it's been a long hard day. It just makes you look really bad when I come out with dick gag now. It's just yeah, like, don't. <laughs> don't. Don't do it. On that note, I think I'm going to wrap things up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in, in short, I, uh, we've not even mentioned like Antonio Banderas and Elena Anaya, who I think are... Oh, so good in this. Amazing. Just absolutely incredible. The film looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It's a great film. Um, yeah, and it's... It's, it's my pick. I think just like Old Boy and I Saw the Devil, it's this quasi-understandable but shockingly psychopathic portrayal of revenge. It's utterly unique, uh, this existential Pandora's box of lines in the sand and moral dilemmas that is just this constant unfurling nature uh, that reflects onto the uh, audience and really makes you question kind of who you stand with in the film. So yeah, vote um, The Skin I Live In. For fun! <laughs> hey. I, I feel there's nowhere to go for that. <laughs> I, I feel I'm going to struggle leading against that heavyweight of a film. But fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway, because that's what I'm here for. So, my choice for best medical horror is 2016's Andre Ovridal's The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I will wait for applause. Thank you, everyone. Yes, thank you very much, Mitch. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate your side of the applause just, there. Just, just to let you know, Mitch, we don't clap for, for Chris when he waits for applause. We just don't clap. It's no. not a thing. Don't set a precedent here. Oh, there was a fly in the room. Sorry, that's what I was doing. Just getting rid of it there. It's fine. I'll, I will just tell you, I'll, I know that you really meant to applaud for me, Mitch. It's fine. Okay, so literally a couple of line synopsis here for this so 
Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch play Tommy and Austin. They are a father and son coroner team. As many as you expect, millions of them around the world. They're the classic father-son coroner team. They have Austin just about the leave for the evening when the police bring in a mysterious Jane Doe who has been found buried in a local basement. They need the autopsy results for the morning and bizarre shit starts to happen as we go through the night as they do their work. This... As I say, classic medical procedure. I know some some of the team had an issue with me selecting this as a medical horror, even though there is an autopsy front and centre through the whole event. No, this... that you're making it sound worse than it was. It wasn't an issue. It was just a question of whether it was. Obviously, because, I mean, we'll, we'll get to the end, but yeah, go on, you go. It is a medical horror with an autopsy running front and centre front and center it's creepy anyway a morgue is an inherently creepy place let's face it no one wants to be hanging around there in the dead of night no no one does and the father-son relationship that they have with emil hirsch wanting out essentially of the family business and off on his toes but needing to stay there through his loyalty to his dad and his deceased mother and the whole just creepy vibe that we get from the get-go, they do so well in setting those little parts to begin with. The bell on the toe, which we know they're going to come back and use. We know that's being there and mentioned explicitly, so we're going to have it further down the line. When they do come back and use it, it works brilliantly well. The jump scares, while clearly choreographed and clearly signposted, you can see them coming a mile off. I was sitting next to you, Faye, and you still jumped at every single one of them jump scares because they're so beautifully executed. Like uh, like Darren said in the chat, uh, he said he watched it at cell and absolutely shit himself. I did exactly the same. I jumped out of my seat watching it. I say it's it's just be it's just beautifully done, those little scares. I'm sure Mercer and Mitch have been quiet so far. I'm sure they'd like the way in. It's amazing. It's it's fucking incredible. I mean, it's it's like it's one of the the best pure horror films I would say within the last ten years. Um, mm. It's like like you said, it's shit pantingly scary. Um, it's incredibly clever. And is it one of the most surprising entries in the Hugo Girl subgenre? If we're gonna yeah, just... about, if we're gonna talk about the big reveal. As you say, essentially, because obviously we have that big reveal where it's witchcraft is the basis of why she's been found there in the first place and why all this weird stuff has been happening. As you say, because of their invading her autonomy, as they did back in the day when they actually did all this shit back in the Salem Witch Trials and they had all this shit pinned on them, and the guys pay for it. They got the guys pay for the fact that they're actually invading her body with this autopsy. <laughs> Sorry, um, again, just from chat. I do apologise. I'm just keeping an eye on it. Uh, Mitch has put the you go girl subgenre. I like to refer to as good for her. The movie like Midsummer and such, and maybe promising young woman. I don't know if Mitch has seen that yet, so I do apologise. Um, 
at one point I was actually watching the film behind my arm. Like there's not many films that get to me these days, but I, I got my book and I like that going, oh no, just waiting for the jump scare. I was crapping it. Um, you want to talk about gorgeous shots? This has got one of the most gorgeous shots ever and it's right at the beginning. It's when they're digging her up and she's half in the mud. It's got the feel of the, um, is it possess Possession? The Possession DVD? You know where it's coming forward and it's all pale? It just has that look about it. It's absolutely stunning, that shot. I love it. She gives one of the best performances ever for someone who lays there not saying anything. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like the only thing she does in the whole film is twitch her toe. Like, yeah. the thing she does in the whole film. Oh, she blinks once. She blinks. Oh, she does, doesn't she? Yes. Mm, yeah, which was really clever. I mean, really subtly. Blink and you miss it, but it was really well done. <laughs> I mean, you got you got to love the clear structure. For essentially, we've got a silent witness meets paranormal activity as they do as they get layer on layer on layer and investigate further and further and the tension and what happens gets cranked up time and time again and it passes so quickly as well because there's always something going on even if it's small things it moves at a pace i think one of the things that i loved about it as well is that like the little subtle nuances um, like stuff that happens on the radio is really, really cool throughout the film. Like the stuff that they do with music and her theme tune, so to speak. And then especially at the end as well, when the kind of the police come into the, the autopsy room to find the remains of what's kind of gone on or the lack thereof. Um, and on the radio, it says that there's been the fourth straight day of sunshine. Um, when all you've heard about so far in the movie is this massive storm that's going on. Um, yeah. It just shows like, all she's been doing is warping their reality. Like the only things that have gone wrong are things that they've kind of done to themselves in a way. So clever. So, so, so mm. clever. Speaking of clever, does everyone know the, the um, oh, the tagline for the film as well that was on the poster? Everybody has a secret. Ah. So good. Very uh, good. Very good. Mercy, you've not weighed in at all. Would you like to... Oh, here we go. <laughs> Tell me why you hate my pick. <laughs> I don't hate your pick, but uh, in fact, I absolutely love the, the start of the film. Um, I love the relationship between um, Emile Hirsch and, and Emile Hirsch. I, I really get on board with that. I love like when they're doing like that first autopsy, you've got this like little jittery, like joyous music playing over background. And you're like, this is so bizarre. Like, you know, we've got this little clink, 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 and they're like, yes, cut some ribs. I love all <laughs> that. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, and then when it starts to go off the rails, that's when I start to lose interest, unfortunately. And um, in, yes, the whole point when we discover she's a witch every little thing that's uttered by either of them after that point just had me going fuck off i am so bored with this i hated the whole them girls in salem were innocent shut up you weren't there you don't know you don't know you weren't there um, I hated that. I hated the whole, oh, I know what we need to do to solve this. No, you don't. Shut up. You've just discovered she's a witch. Just. 
oh, look, this piece of cloth, I somehow magically know which way to fold it so it says Leviticus. Like, shut up. Where does that <laughs> where does the knowledge come from? At that point, I'm completely lost. I'm just like, I'm done with you. I hate this. I hate everything about this part. Um, but then, then when he dies, Brian Cox dies, or is it Brian Cox? Brian yeah, Cox, when Brian yeah. Dies, oh, that's quite cool. I like the way, like, she, um, everything that happens to him is her healing. And um, I'm like, oh, this is really good. It's got good again. Like, thank God that awful witch scene, like, that, like, reveal was, like, only, like, 10 minutes or something, because it could have ruined it completely for me. Um and I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. And then the whole him almost escaping. I'm like, oh god, this is like, this is actually quite good. And then it doesn't end. What, like, is oh. going, what, what is going on tonight? Everyone's agreeing with Mercer. What is going on? <laughs> what kind of fucking witchcraft is this? Everyone needs to stop smoking crack and just fucking get get off the super it, crack. It, the, the thing is, it wasn't needed. The film was act, the film was fine as it was. We didn't need like we could have found out she's a witch, and that's fine. I'm not got a problem with that. But I don't think we need like this explanation into or the history of witchcraft. I don't need these silly things that happen that that just don't make sense. And then, I, like I said, for me, I hate a fake ending, and I think the ending would have been so much better with um, him falling off and dying, and then maybe hearing a little jingle of a bell. I don't want to see coppers come in and be like, oh, no, look, it looks the same as that house that we went to before. Oh, quick, let's get in an ambulance and drive off and let's extend this film by 20 minutes for no reason at all. There was no need for that. That's for two minutes and <laughs> on to the end. Minutes of my life wasted watching a body get loaded into an ambulance for a little tow twitch. I didn't need that. They could have tow twitched inside. It's fine. That would have worked perfectly. So, um, but other than that, yeah, they were really good. <laughs> well, that was the funniest way of showing it. <laughs> All right, Chris, you know me and you—we, you know, we battle. You know, we battle. Um, we we do. We we go we go head to head. It's fine. We got our we got our own little thing going on. See which one of us doesn't finish last. I was. <laughs> I like being last. Okay. <laughs> but that's. I think, yeah, the last... I understand a little bit with the ending because it does go pretty bonkers when, as I say, the Brian Cox stuff where she's healing and the nasty body horror stuff there with the wrist breaking and stuff. Absolutely brilliant. I don't need the whole jump where he suddenly appears in front of Ellen Millhurst and he falls off and dies there. It goes a little... I, it gets I, silly. I, yeah, I have an issue. Yeah. It gets, I have an issue with the ending where it gets a little bit too. In the same way with the last exorcism, where it's brilliant for 80, 80 minutes, and the last five minutes just goes slightly too ridiculous for its own good. But as I say, the build up up till then is genuinely creepy as fuck, and that's all I want. All I need from a classic ghost story is stuff to be bells to be shaking. Doors be opening on their own, creaks from everywhere, and sudden eyes and people walking across in front of the camera. And that's me done. I am perfectly happy if you tick all those boxes for me. I, I do I do find that the scene with the fog is quite disorientating as a viewer. 
Like the, that, I think that's done really well. And I know, I know Messi, you're not, you know, liking all the explanation behind it, but I kind of dug the, I, I dug the way that they went in with the witchcraft. So it wasn't like your normal sort of, oh, cauldrons and black cats. It was, no, this is like ancient witchcraft. This is like natural witchcraft. And I really liked that myself. Which is and it's good that Brian Cox was there to explain it all to us. That's all it I'm is saying. Good. Thank you, Brian Cox, for being there. You don't know what books he's read. He might have read books on it. Wasn't I there. Love, I love the fact that you like every horror film to be 90 minutes of people in silence while stuff just happens around them. Was I... Well, I think I've got a different reading. Was I the only person that read it, not that she was actually a witch, that during the witch trials she specifically wasn't a witch, she was just brought into these kind of supernatural powers due to the kind of trauma that was put that's, onto the body. That, yeah, that's one of the arguments they made during it was the fact that she wasn't guilty to begin with, but yeah. by the abuse and the things they did it to her during her. it, it actually made her So she's not a witch and Mercer's argument is invalid. <gasps> yeah, yeah, we'll just go with that. There we go, done. <laughs> so just, but just to confirm as well, Chris, your number one pick for best medical horror is 90% of the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yes, 90%. <laughs> Okay. So uh, when we when we score it, I will take ninety percent of the points and work out on the average. Does anyone have anything else to say for the autopsy of Jane Doe? Apart from Mercer, we can just mute him before before I sum up. Uh, yes, the uh, the MVP is the cat. The cat is amazing, and I was very upset when the cat died. Yeah, if considering it was a late wife's cat, he throws it. He gets rid of it with a uh, quite a quite a nonchalant. <laughs> No, he has, he has a moment with the car. He has a moment along with his thoughts after. So no, I don't believe he's got it. He's got a fucking witch trying to kill him. He's got to get on with shit, you know. He's going to make this quick. Yeah, but I absolutely right. do not believe he didn't feel anything for the car. He loved that car. That's fair enough, true. Yes. So, in summing up, the autopsy of Jane Doe, ninety percent of it amazing. The other ten percent, uh, <laughs> if. If you want a classic haunted house story with a witchy twist, genuinely brilliantly shot jump scares, absolutely standout performances from Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch, then don't listen to Mercer and vote for the Autopsy of Jane Doe. If you thought the Autopsy of Jane Doe was a tenuous link, then uh, what, why are you pulling that face, Mercer? What's going on? I don't know. We've got what's like happening? A, we've got a mutiny or something. I don't know what's happened. I'm so is, is it just so much talk about I'm, mine? No, I was being so good, and um, now that we're like we've got serious and we've been serious, I need wine. I'm not going to be able to do this justice. There is absolutely no way I'm not going to get through this first five minutes without a fangirling and all over this film you know mine is medical it has medical elements if not only for the last 15 minutes okay but it's medical <laughs> mine is 2017's get out as you can see from the t-shirt um oh god i can't i can't i've had a drink I'm going to waffle, Anna. I'm going to absolutely waffle. I've been waiting for this day, and now it's here. 
and fucking, just, I'm going to ruin it. Can I just make reference? Everyone in the um, in the chat, because we can see everyone's faces, kind of just did a little head turn like dogs do when they hear a high pitched whistle. When you said get out, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <gasps> I'm gone. I'm not on gallery view. Wait a second. Wait a second. Oh, we did that. Do it again, you cowards. Robert, <laughs> right. It, was that a head tilt, Robert? Get out. Are you, are, you happy, are you satisfied with my choice? Yeah, you better be. Coming for you. I'm not Robert. I'm not I'm not about that life this week. I'm sorry. Right, hang on, we'll get back. <laughs> I can't speak of you. So nice of you to join us, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, so I've, I've heard the speech praising uh get out for 55 million times. So it's uh most okay. people Shania Twain in the shower, Faye just praises Jordan Peele. <laughs> That's just so, it. I wake, I wake up in the morning. It's like, you know what's great? Get out. <laughs> For anybody who hasn't seen Get Out, I will try and do a quick synopsis. Um, Daniel Kaluuya's Chris is on his way to meet his girlfriend's parents for the first time, who are quite upper class, a uh, big house, really well-established jobs, and is quite concerned that he's not going to fit in. Um, and then when he gets to the house, he doesn't fit in, <laughs> basically. Well, he does. He does fit in. He fits in too much. Um, we find out that her parents... I can't do this justice, can I? I'm just the worst at synopsis. I'm awful at it. Um, we find out that his... her. Oh, come on, help me out, someone. I've had a drink and I'm trying. Do you, want to have another, do, you want to, do you want to have another run at it from the start? No, no. So, so when, when, when he gets there, um, her parents are acting quite weird and trying to fit in too much, trying to be like, yeah, I'm down with the kids sort of thing. Um, and he starts to notice weird things within the house. They have servants there that are black servants and something just isn't sitting right. And we do eventually find out that he's, again, spoilers, sorry for everyone, um, that her family are involved in medical experimentation where they will take the brain of somebody who wants to be put into another person for whatever reason, be that uh, physique, be that the talent they've got in there and they swap the brains over. And at the moment, in this timeline, black is in and uh, people want black bodies to be transported into. And that's the film. Uh, I can't, I, I gush too much. Stop smiling, Chris, this is so funny. I gush too much over this film because I've been waiting to talk about this film since we started this podcast and I absolutely cannot do it justice. The performances are amazing. The stories are amazing. The amount of Easter eggs that are just dropped in there is phenomenal. The references to horror, like Jordan Peele is incredible. And I love him. I love him with all my heart. And I love Get Out with all my heart. And if you think I'm bad at this one, wait till we get to us. Because I'm just not going to be able to speak. It's, nothing's going to come out. Thoughts? Anyone? So, just, <laughs> just as a quick Easter egg, as I saw earlier, talking about us. Has anyone noticed when she goes into Chris's apartment at the start after she picks up the pastries, does anyone see the drawing on the apartment door? next to Chris's that looks suspiciously like a pair of scissors. Mmm. I didn't. So you showed it now, obviously. I got very excited because it could be like a hereditary midsummer thing. 
Yeah, universe. Where it's planted it early, you know? I mean, it's a perfect... Are we going to go there? Let's go. Or... It's, I mean, it literally, you have delivered a mic drop, isn't it? It's like, it's the film equivalent of Liza Minnelli going, it's Liza, bitch, it's just Liza, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or Jackie Stallone saying, yeah, Brackie. Um, it's, it's perfect. It's that perfect combination that you so rarely get of social commentary um, that's potent and relevant. And then if you take that completely out of it, you've still got an incredibly thrilling, scary, palatable, challenging horror film. Um, that hit at such the, the a best. Point. The best thing, yeah, exactly. And the best thing about Get Out is when you first watch it. Um, myself, I didn't have any clue as to where it was going. I didn't know what direction it was going. I think as well because you, you know it's from Jordan Peele. It's so it was so unexpected because he wasn't doing horror at the time. It was all comedy. But if you go back and watch Key and Peele now horror is embedded in it and it's beautiful and it's creepy and you can absolutely see why he went in this direction but because you, you didn't I never fully knew where it was going so when he did come to the end I was so surprised mm -hmm. yeah think, it was like, amazing Neil's respect for the horror genre is so evident as well like both in those references the, that we aforementioned but also just the way he constructs the piece that it is terrifying on so many different levels whether mm. it is bodily or existential or social or just the crazy gonzo ending that really really goes for it so the, like the the final uh the third act really rather than the ending um he 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 got the task he 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 real got the assignment jordan peeled mm -hmm. and oh the beautiful thing is as well when you go back and watch it um it's all there for you everything is there laid out in black and white as to where it was going you know even down from the when they're in the car and they knock over and they run over the deer and the policeman comes and wants his id and you think oh she's being really yeah. supportive of a boyfriend you know fighting racism nah bitch she doesn't want anyone to know where he's going she don't want anyone to know about him it's so clever the whole way through and something i picked up on today as well that i've not actually noticed before is just the contempt that Catherine Keener's character, Kitty, is it Kitty? Mm. The, the contempt she has for him. And you can see it in her eyes. Like when she's talking about him smoking, she's like, that's a bad habit. You're going out with my daughter. And she's so mean about it. And she loves sending him to the sunken place. And I never noticed before just quite how horrible she is as a character. She's awful. Yeah. She, she, I mean, she's not the true villain. They're all fucking villains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, when Alison switches as well, when she's looking for the keys, I mean, that's just one of the most joyously to watch <laughs> acted transformations between trying to be the innocent victim and being the just absolute egregious person in control. Yeah, that, that comes out of nowhere because you're still, you're still, Chris is looking to escape and you still believe completely that she's on his side at that point. But mm. the further give a performance that convincing when they're trying to escape I mean it's not even that she's given a convincing performance of someone trying to escape, she's given a convincing performance of someone pretending that they're giving a convincing performance of trying to escape. The, the thing is as well if you look at her, excuse me if you look at her performance throughout it as well you can actually see her 
breaking that character when Jeremy is challenging Chris at the dinner table about his physique and how he could be a fighter, like an ultimate fighter if he just put his mind to it. You can see her give an eye to Jeremy where she's like, you are going to blow this. You need mm -hmm. to stop now. And again, on first on first watch, you could be like, oh, I've got my new boyfriend home. You shouldn't be doing this. Absolutely not. You can see her through. If you go, when you go back and see it throughout, you absolutely see that it's her, that she's just horrible. While the, we're um, performances, sorry, sorry, Mercer, just while, before we move on from Jeremy, can we just say how, I mean, Caitlin did mention it in the chat, about how insane Caleb Landry-Jones is in this, in every film he's in, basically. He's yeah. so just intrinsically creepy in and of himself. I mean, I was very, very close to picking antiviral for one Me of mine. Me too, yeah. Um, but I know, I know, Caitlin, I know. Um, but I thought it would be a little bit too much of a, of a Landry Jones circle jerk. Um, but, you know. Oh, he's, he's mental and get out. He's just, he's psychotic. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. kind of lecherous. He's the one that is completely... Um, uncaring for them keeping their secret really because he knows yeah. they're going to get their way in the end it's a power thing for him i think he you know he's so desperate to he's like look look at this family i'm from we can do this we're invincible we're do immortal do you reckon he's do you reckon he's like that pale jittery and sweaty when he's popping down tesco's or it's just a uh just a film thing <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's tash really puts me about a lot i'm not gonna lie it looks like a man who shouldn't be having a tash. He looks like he, he can't really grow it. But that's horrible of me. I do apologise. No, that's horrible to pull someone's appearance. I didn't mean that, but it's a weird tash. It is. Of all the things he does, um, growing a moustache is probably one of the less <laughs> things. But yeah, fine. You do you, Faye. That's hard. Um, could, shall, shall we delve into like just the little like nods? that Jordan puts in as well. Like, Absolutely, like, yes. I mean, like, if you turn your camera up, you'll see one on the wall as well, because you're also a white supremacist, so. <laughs> but yeah, no, the buck, the, the cotton in the chair that he picked. Cost, actual cotton picking. Uh, Alice. Oh, oh I've, I found out today as well, uh, because I wondered what the lions were, because when you go past uh, Catherine Keener's chair, Kitty's chair, mm -hmm. it's got lions on the end where she puts like the the andress and there's a lion in the bedroom as well and apparently I, I don't know anything about this so I do apologise just kill this all over again Caitlin I'm sorry, um, apparently it relates to Knights of Templar and the fact that they're immortal and that's like the kind of nod to it as to why they have a lot of lions around them. Oh I didn't know if it would be a throwback to kind of like romantic times when... Yeah like, there's that as well like the hunter and yeah. Apparently, like... apparently there's a whole kind of Christianity angle on there as mm -hmm. well as you're saying which to be fair the whole rebirth kind and that coming back from the dead kind of angle which is essentially what they're doing mm -hmm. is yeah you can see that completely play out as well. I didn't know if we were talking about briefly about the Caleb, not his performance, but just as well to talk about little drop-ins. When he's outside near the end, when he's playing the little guitar, like a banjo, like proper proper redneck Southern style. Kinda, yeah. Southern, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so good as well, the way, I'm, I mean, you notice it's weird upon first watch. And I, I know I keep going back to first watch and latest watch, but I think you need that to notice the, to the differences. You know, and the way that um, Walter and oh, what's the, what's the what's the other lady called? The grandma, Georgina. 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 The way that Walter and Georgina talk mm -hmm. is so surreal. Mm -hmm. 
it's like it's like uh, yeah so that would be lovely oh what, what did she say what's that thing she says it says about tattletale snitching a tattletale yeah when he goes i didn't mean to snitch on you oh tattletale it's just like it's so old it's such an old vocabulary oh, i fucking love it i love get out but the scariest thing <laughs> with that is that obviously it is these these white women inhabiting these bodies but it's also on first watch not entirely unnatural because we're also used to seeing um black help in films as these gentrified people that have to adapt their southernisms or their own kind of dialogue to fit in with the white families they work for um, yeah it's, it's it's nothing in this film nothing at all is accidental and that is the work of a fucking genius and that's exactly how i find out found out about the lions because i noticed two of them went that's not a coincidence that there's got to be a reason behind that but if you watch um when, when we first get introduced to Bradley Whitford, just in his dialogue, literally from him giving him a tour of the house to going out to the back garden, it's just steeped in racism throughout. It's talking about deers and saying, oh, one less deer on this planet, you should get rid of them, yada, yada. And it's, it's clear that's not where, it's clear that's not what he's actually talking about. I love, and, I love him when he's, in the when he's in the kitchen, where he's like, oh no, we keep, we keep a piece of her. Yeah, yeah, pretty big fucking piece of her around. Yeah, when he's it's saying like, we, couldn't, we couldn't bear to let them go. It's or like, when well, he says, yeah, or his grand, or his his granddad, or his dad's home, he's like, he's like, oh, he, ne he nearly got, he just could not get over losing the Jesse Owens. Nearly did. Nearly got over. Decided, no, you know what, I'll just invent a, invent a brain transplant machine instead. So good. So brilliant. And I love the bit as well where, this is just me naming bits of the film that I love, so I'm sorry. Um, but I love the bit where they do have Chris tied up and he's watching the TV and Walter's giving the explanation as to what's going on in regards to the transplants and such. And it's so Twilight Zone. Mm. It just sounds like a Rod Serling intro, doesn't it? It sounds like the guy. The, the guy who did the 80s Twilight Zone, I'm not sure of the name of who it were, but you can absolutely see why he went on to do what he did. Yes. Uh, Robert's just mentioned something. Um, if, it, if his kind of favourite part, he thinks is oh, really? in the film. Sorry, we'll, sorry, sorry, sorry. Russell, we'll come to you. Just, I think this is a super valid point because we haven't touched on it yet. But it's how to audience in the mindset of the Afro. Oh, were you going to say it? Yeah. So that's one of the things that I've put. So throughout the entire film, sorry, Robert, you, you're a very wise, wise man. Um, throughout the entire film it made me feel uncomfortable in certain aspects. Like there's certain parts where I go, oh wow, like I would never consider that. So at the very beginning, when he asked um, Rose whether her parents know if he's black, and I'm just like, what a bizarre question. But I understand after, you know, like, white privilege, I hate to say, but as, as a white person, I've never had to question. That is what it is. Yeah. Like that in my life. Even, and even, sorry, but even as a gay person, I don't have to question that because parents tend to know that if their child's gay, you're not just going to rock up with a man and announce your, you know, homosexuality. So, like, that threw me because it kind of, it made me kind of hate myself a little bit because I'm like, oh, God, I'm just so not wrapped up in my own world. Like, I don't, don't think outside the box, um, which is horrible. And then I also hated myself on the rewatch of this film for actually liking the family when, we first, when I first meet them. I'm like, oh, these are really nice. And I know what they're going to do. And I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Like, these are horrible, horrible, horrible people. And, 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 and I liked them. 
And I'm like, I hate that, like, that was something that I felt like, not, I don't like them for what they do, but they, they just seemed in, engaging and inviting, even to, um, to Chris, like, they, like, what, what's, they what Chris sees and what Rose sees is like them being overtly or inadvertently racist or like mm. you know overtly racist. Like my view was them really trying, but then why would you have to try to be nice to somebody? You should just be nice to people. You shouldn't have to try. It shouldn't matter what color you are. So th and that was something else. Like oh my god, what is wrong with me? I'm like like as a person, what's what's like? Am I like a complete dick? But the end of the film is when I were like, oh, this is terrible because I watched the end of the film, it happens, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, when I remember first watching it and going, please don't let them be police officers because I know for a fact that if they're police officers, Chris is going to get shot mm -hmm. with no questions asked because all they're going to see is a white woman on the floor asking for help and a black man of overall, and they're going to shoot him. And I was like, this is horrible that, like, like it's horrible that we we know that that could, would potentially be the outcome of the film. And it, and it makes me hate, like, I, I hated myself for actually thinking that. But then I'm like, but then I hate the world because, like, that's what I see all the time. It's not an just just in regards to the ending, um, I, I mean, th there's been some stuff in the chat which I do want to touch upon because it's all fucking amazing. I mean, specifically, uh, Chelsea says, um, talking about the, no, 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 which is fucking incredible. I mean, if you want to talk about a minor character having a major role, that is it right there. That's what a lot of people take away from the film because it's so fucking good. Um, but with regard to the ending... Caitlin said in here that uh, Rose gets off on being strangled. Now I looked this up because I wondered why she was smiling. And somebody put uh, some somebody had written somewhere that they thought the reason she was smiling at being strangled was because she'd conditioned Chris and said that when she smiles, so when she smiles, it shows a softer side of her, and he'll comply and go, "Oh, I shouldn't be doing this to her." But I didn't see it like that. I saw it as she was liking the fact she was getting strangled because she knew that if someone ever stumbled upon this, he was the one who was going to get done for it. He was the one who was going to get a thing. And she's like, yeah, go ahead, strangle me. You're getting done for it, not me. So when he stopped strangling her, she's like, what? What? Why have you stopped? Sort of thing. I mean, she dies in end. She deserves to. She's horrible. She's evil. And the Fruit Loop scene is incredible when she sat there listening to Dirty Dancing and separating... But I like quite literally the colours from the whites, yeah. quite literally. But I do think she's listening to Dirty Dancing because it is the most white woman fucking film in the world. It absolutely is, is it not? Um, but the ending, there was an alternate ending on the DVD where the cops do rock up and arrest Chris and he gets thrown in jail. But like Chris said, uh, test audiences did not like it. So they went with, I, I was so relieved that obviously he didn't. Get they arrested like, and they the didn't cops like didn't it come. because it was they didn't like it because it was more sad they liked it because it was incredibly unrealistic that a black mm. man would be arrested without being harmed yeah just say. Well, wow. it's true it's true yeah. but I, I mean, sorry i'm gonna say i would have i would have hated that ending but i would have believed that ending mm -hmm. which is again quite sad that that i would have I would have accepted that as a realistic, truthful ending. 
Mm. Um, just like I accept this as a realistic truth, and the fact that you know he, his mate comes. Can I just say though, I just got to get this in because you guys are talking loads, and normally I'm the one who's like full of verbal diarrhea, um, but I've not had much to say. But I want to say one thing. I I do really, really, really like this film, but I cannot deal with the TSA guy and the comedy scenes. <laughs> This doesn't work as a, this doesn't work as an audio feature, but Mitch, Mitch has got up, got up and left the room, room at this point. Hear me Thank out. you, Caitlin. Scrap that fucking T-shirt. Just hear me out. Just please hear me out, right? So, the the scenes are funny, but they they just take me too far out of the tension that the film creates. And I know, I'm gone. I know that films are supposed to, you know, alleviate the tension by having some form of humour in there or some, or maybe even a jump there or something that's t like takes us out of like how tense that moment is. I actually think this film deserves to be just as tense as it is. I don't, I don't, the idea of being taken out of it almost feels like, like I'm given uh, a reprieve and I don't feel like like I want a reprieve. I feel like I want the film to just make me feel as tense as it does. I don't even... Oh, hang on, hang on. And let's just be honest. So we can all disagree with me, which I, I think we are doing. But okay. no, I was just going to counterpoint. But let me just ask you all about the scene in the police station. That is not a good scene. The way the, the coppers all get together it's not it's there's no element of realism to it that is that is the worst scene in the film i like that for me is like it's there to just kind of you know make us feel better as an audience and calm us down a little bit and if, I, I i hate that scene if, that, if, you, if you if you took that scene out rod is the hero of this film rod is us rod is the one saying don't go to that house. There's something going on. You need to get out of there. Rod tells him throughout the whole fucking film. And I know it comes across, uh, across as like comedy. And that's fine because it's Jordan Peele. There's going to be some in there. But if it wasn't for Rod, Chris wouldn't have got away. So Rod is the hero. Um, I will say that there is one thing that does my head in about Get Out. And, that's, and I don't know if this has got any sort of history attached to it. But it's literally just that he's got candles in an operating room. And I can't understand why he's got candles that eventually fall over and start to burn the place down in an operating room. It's fuck. It's melancholy. Oh, it's mystical. The only bit that irritates me, because I absolutely love the film of passion, is when they're doing the auction, he's the, he's the only black man there that they are essentially selling. Why have they got a massive giant picture of him? on the bandstand. How do you explain that if he wanders back up? Fair point. Fair point. Mitch, sorry, did you have anything to say before I wrap this up? Because I realised I cut you off three times and I am sorry about that. All, all I was going to say was about the buddy cop scene because I think there, it, there is an argument for it standing out, but could it be that it's meant to be a reference to like that internal racism that exists like within black communities where there is that just because it is it's a black police officer that he's talking to um and she's just completely in shock like no white people wouldn't do that don't be stupid um 
and it's that inherent distrust of the police as well that's done in a more comedic way because you know don't want to take it too seriously when we're talking about race wars maybe um I don't know. I mean, like I say, it might, it might just be a comedy insert purely because that's what he does. That's what he knows. I just think like if you would, if maybe if you were in a real life scenario, to take, sorry, again, I've cut you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you were to take this to a police station in real life, you would be laughed out of there. Totally. And I think, yeah, I know. You need Rod for that cathartic ending. And just yes. the one other point I was going to make is just to once again, just lick at the feet of Jordan Peele is how much self-restraint did it take for him to put that in because this is a film born of rage and fury at hundreds of years of um, implicit racism that's kind of mm. inherent to well not just America but specifically America um, so much rage has caused this film to be made and then to restrain yourself to not give that negative ending that is just inevitable and to go for something more uplifting um because that's what he wanted to deliver to his core audience i think as well in, the film. in in terms of like in terms of horror watching as well i think you get certain films where so much has happened and they've been through so much that to not give them an uplifting ending would be unfair so I think it, I think maybe he might have just been thinking along those lines rather than any sort of restraint. It might just be Chris has been put through his paces here and he doesn't deserve to die. Yeah. So let's not kill him. And if you want that you ending, know? put on CNN or open Twitter, if you want that ending. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, but yeah, in conclusion, Get Out was fucking amazing. Uh, you've heard me waffle about it. I'm sorry if it was incoherent and fangirly and not as insightful as you were hoping. Uh, but, you know, give me another four drinks and you might get that insight. I don't know. <laughs> so get out. <laughs> I love the idea that after we have finished the formal episode and we segue into an after party, that you're not just going to continue just talk about get out. <laughs> you know me. You know, you know I like to go for hours on these. So we are move. We are moving back on the the autopsy of Jane Doe, <laughs> and why it is brilliant. The final ten percent. Um, so yeah, why ten percent doesn't matter. Chris, take us home. Where can people um, find you guys online? Where can people check out previous Fit Grades episodes? Thank you very much, Mitch. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at SpitGrades. We are I Spit on Your Grades on Facebook. And I will say this until I die. If you, for some reason, you want to email us, no one ever does. No one ever has. No one ever will want to. But if for some reason you're sitting there at three in the morning and you feel you want to email someone, you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. Our podcasts are available on all good podcast providers, including Apple, Spotify, Acast, and the like. So please check us out. And if you've enjoyed this and our previous episodes, please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, I would <laughs> just before we end, um, if you could direct all your hate comments to the email, because we probably checked that last. So your hate comments to me about my opinions on um, Get Out. Uh, 
please send them to the email. And I don't have to see them because I ain't got access. Thanks. To just say thank you to Mitch for hosting us as well again. Two times now. Two two times the punishment. So thank you very much. Very much, Mitch. And thank you. Oh my god, she's in the house.